To those of you who are new, I am Jamie, and I am also one of the pastors around here, and it is my honor and my privilege this morning to be back with you and to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Luke, chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one provided for you in the pew in front of you. And if you're not super familiar with the Bible, um, Luke chapter 6 is going to be found on page 862 of the church Bible. I'll be reading from verse 27 down to verse 36. I'll go ahead and read the passage and pray, ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we'll work our way through these verses a little bit at a time. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. This is the word of the Lord. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, Do not withhold your tunic either. Give to who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let's pray. Father, send out your light and your truth and let them lead us. Let them bring us to your holy hill and to your dwelling. We will go to the altar of God who is our exceeding joy. We will praise you with the lives, with the mouths, with the hearts, with the hands and the feet that you have given us. Until Jesus is a praise in all the earth. God's people said amen. Well, before we move forward in today's passage, we need to move backwards. A quick glance then into our rear view. 
Something Jesus taught us last week is massively important in order for us to understand what Jesus is teaching us this week. And this reality is all over the Bible, and so it's rather important that we understand it. And it is this, that who you are determines what you do, that who you are drives what you do. A person's theology determines their biography. And last week, Jesus taught us who we are, or he taught us who we need to be. He said in that passage, blessed are the poor. He said, blessed are the hungry. He said, blessed are those who mourn. We took that to understand that blessed are those who have bankrupted their life by their sin, by their rebellion against God, and those who've recognized that bankruptcy and who hunger to be made right with God, who mourn their spiritual poverty. And Jesus upon them says, you're blessed. That's who you are. And now Jesus turns to what the spiritually poor do. You are something before you do something. Your theology determines your biography. You see, those who know that God is real and that God is righteous and that God is holy and that God is just understand that they are not like that. They are spiritually destitute. They hunger to be made right and they mourn their spiritual state. That's who they are. And they show who they are in the things that they do. And to put a finer point on it this morning, Jesus says they show who they are by how they love. By how they love. They show who they are by the way they love. They love like God loves. They show that they are God's children by the way they love others. And how exactly did God love? Well, the Bible tells us, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in another place, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. And in another place, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. This is all over the Bible. I could go on and on. God's love is all over the Bible, but perhaps it is best summarized in one short sentence from the parched lips of the Savior himself. The sinless one suffering in the place of sinners on the cross, mocked and spit upon and rejected and beaten and alone says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here is the principle implicit in this passage. Christian, your treatment of others must never depend upon what they do to you or what they do for you. 
but must, deplan- must depend fully upon what God has done to you and what God has done for you. Who you are drives what you do. And this is contrary to our very nature. Because our very nature teaches us that we love those who love us. And that we ought to do good to those who do good to us. It's a calculation. You give in order to get. It's relational economics. That kindness is to be offered only when the return on the kindness exceeds the investment. And the moment it doesn't, we bail. But this isn't love. Because love is a giving. Here's the big idea this morning. Show that you are God's children by loving others in the way God has loved you. Show that you are God's children by loving others in the way that God has loved you. Simple outline this morning. First, we'll look at love defined in verses 27 to 31. And then we will look at love differentiated, verses 32 to 34. And then Jesus shows us love displayed in verses 35 to 37. So love defined, love differentiated, and love displayed. So let's go back to verse 27 to 31. Let's read it again. This is love defined. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So Jesus starts off by saying, but to those who hear, I suspect this is because before, in the earlier passage, Jesus has been turning worlds right side up completely overturning paradigms of the way we looked at the world. And so he keeps on going, wondering, are you still listening? And he says, hear this, love your enemies. And what follows this command are three examples of loving your enemies. He says, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. This is love defined. Before we get into the particulars, we should ask, who are our enemies? Like if, as a disciple of Jesus, if I'm called to love my enemies, who exactly are they? Like I need to know who my enemies are so I can love them. And I suspect that the disciples, when Jesus said this to them, they were probably thinking of the Romans the occupying force of the day. At the very least, Simon the Zealot was assured that Caesar and Rome were his enemies, right? And so maybe you're like me. You have a bit of a 
a trouble identifying your enemies. Like, I don't feel like I have any enemies. Maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers, but that's about as far as it goes. I mean, I do pray for them. I pray they would lose every single game. And so Jesus expands our definition of enemies beyond politics, beyond football even. And he says, your enemy is anyone who hates you, anyone who curses you, anyone who abuses you, anyone who takes from you. So this, this means it can fall into a lot of categories. A coworker who is intent on getting you fired or getting you demoted. It could be someone whose mission in life is to make your life difficult. It could be an insufferable boss, obsessed with making your job far more difficult than it needs to be. Could be someone who stole your goods, stole your tools, stole clients from you, took credit for something you did. And Jesus says, those are your enemies. That's who I want you to love. Also, the word Jesus chooses here for love is a rather important thing to know. The New Testament wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. And in New Testament Greek... There were several words for love. They had one word to describe natural love, like the kind of love that we mean when we say, I love food or I love this kind of music. They had a different word for describing love between friends. There was another word for love, like romantic kind of love between a husband and a wife. And then there was a word to describe the kind of love that's different from those other kinds of love. It's the love for the undeserving, the love that is unconcerned with the self and is concerned only with the greatest good of the person being love. Now, which do you suppose Jesus used here? The love Jesus prescribes here is a love that is a one-way street. It is a species of love that is detached from self-interest and self-promotion. It is an unnatural kind of love, a supernatural kind of love, a radical kind of love. It is the kind of love that God shows. Because no one has loved their enemies more than God. Many people think of love as a feeling. But Jesus shows us that love is more than just a feeling. Love is a doing. Love is action. Just look at the words Jesus uses here. They're all action words. Love does good. Love blesses. Love prays. These are action words because love does. And love does not just for deserving people. Love does for undeserving people. And then Jesus presses even further than that in saying that Christian love is not just to the undeserving. Christian love is to the ill-deserving. 
This is radical. Do good to those who hate you. Jesus means do good things to those who wrong you. Bless those who curse you. Means speak well of them. Call down God's gracious favor upon them. Pray for those who abuse you. For those who insult you and use you and mistreat you. Pray for them. Not the imprecatory prayers of the Psalms that God would judge them and fire, but pray for them that God would bless them and bring them to repentance. If there's any question about what Jesus means, he fleshes it out in verse 29. He goes on to say, To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. In Matthew's account of this sermon, he says, Turn the right cheek. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, and this is helpful to understand what Jesus is saying here because most people are right-handed. And in order to slap someone on the right cheek, you have to slap them with the back of your hand. And this day, slapping someone with the back of your hand was great disrespect to them. And so the Lord is teaching us here that when you are greatly disrespected by someone, suffer it and offer the other cheek. When someone takes away your cloak, give them your tunic. The cloak was the outer garment that was worn in those days. The tunic was the inner garment that was worn close to the skin. So to put it into today's parlance, if someone steals your coat, give them your shirt. Do not retaliate. In the Old Testament... There were laws about retaliation. Leviticus chapter 24 says, If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done it, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And Gandhi famously criticized the Bible by saying, An eye for an eye only ends up making the whole world blind. Which is cute, Gandhi, but you've misunderstood the point. You see, because this law was not meant to condone revenge, this law was meant to limit retaliation. It's a civic matter, an eye for an eye. Meaning, if your neighbor backs his truck over your mailbox, you don't have permission under the law of God to burn down his house. It's a limit on people teaching a lesson. Well, I'll show them what, what it looks like to mess with me. Jesus is explaining that there's a better way. Someone runs over your mailbox. Sure, you have the right to ask them to replace your mailbox. And if they do, what have you gained? You had a mailbox, 
Then you didn't have a mailbox, and now you have a mailbox, and your neighbor has less money. What have you gained? You've gained nothing. But what if you said to your neighbor, don't sweat it. You owe me nothing. Actually, if you would allow me, would you let me take care of the scratches that my, mailba- that my mailbox left on your truck? You see, your ruined mailbox is an opportunity to explain to your neighbor what drives you as a Christian, the kind of love that you've been shown by God. And so you can say to your neighbor, there's a principle in my life which is very dear to me. You see, I have wronged many people over my years, but worst of all, I've wronged my Savior, my Creator. And my God paid for my wrongs with the life of His Son, Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross for my sins. And so if you will allow me, would you let me show you the kind of love He has shown to me in not just paying for a new mailbox, but paying for the scratches on your truck? Church, when someone insults you or scorns you, do not retaliate against them. Remember Jesus As Peter described him, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so Jesus says, y'all, if somebody takes something from you, give them something else. Don't seek revenge. Don't demand. I want my stuff back. It's mine. Jesus says, remain exposed. Remain insulted. You took my coat, you can have my shirt as well. Because it's better to go through life in your undies with two sore cheeks than to have your dignity avenged and your heart hardened. After all, who is your provider? Who is your protector? Is it not Almighty God? Well, then why don't we act like it? And if you're not convicted yet, he keeps pressing. Verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. And for the one who takes away your goods, don't demand them back. When the ability is yours, give to everyone who begs from you. I can see your wheels turning. There's got to be some exceptions. Jesus does use the word everyone. And so before we run off to all of the exceptions that we can think of, well, that beggar's probably just going to blow my money on booze. These panhandlers, they're just lazy bums. They don't want to work. Before we run there, let's just consider the words of the master. Give to everyone. Are there exceptions? Probably, but Jesus didn't add them here. 
It just simply says, give to everyone who begs from you. Look, I am very sure. I am very sure that when you stand before the Lord on the last day to give an account of your life, you will not regret being too generous with what you have. And I am very sure the Lord will not rebuke you for being undiscerning with your generosity. Because he sure isn't. Yes, we have a stewardship of our finances. Yes, of course, we have responsibility to care for those in our charge. But our God paves his streets in gold. He's doing just fine. And if we have a need, we have a promise from on high that he's going to meet that need. And so 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 comes to mind. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love abide in him? Let me just put that in different words. If you see someone who is your brother or sister in the Lord in need, and you have the means to meet that need, and you close your heart against that person to meet their need, John is saying, I'm not saying, John is saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I don't even know how you call yourself a Christian. I'm grateful to the Lord for the diaconal ministry of this church. I don't know if you know this or not. I've had the privilege of sitting in on a couple of these meetings. There's a whole group of people in this church, men and women, who seek to make sure that the physical needs of the membership of this church are taken care of. It's their ministry. It's what they do. And I praise God for them. Because the church is a family. And when you have the means to help someone in your family, we don't think twice. We just meet the need. And some of you are exemplary in this. You just live this. The moment someone calls you, the first drop of a hat, you're willing to do whatever it takes to meet that need. And in so doing, you remind me of our Lord. He'd probably be embarrassed for me to say this, but one of your pastors this very morning, 5 a.m., took my call and went to the emergency room to help a family who was in great distress. And a family who is a member of this church, and a family who's ever probably even been to this church, total strangers to him. But he went there to help them. Because that's who he is. He's a pastor. He's a shepherd. And, and who we are determines what we do. Nothing that we have belongs to us. Not our time, not our money, not our talents. It's all from the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. Yeah, but I earned it, Pastor. Sure you did. You earned it with the ability that God gave you, with the mind that he's sustaining and with the wisdom he's provided who owes you no obligation and can at any moment take all three of those things away from you. You are a steward. And this is the reality that undergirds all of these things. The golden rule, verse 31. 
as you wish others would do to you, do so to them. You are something before you do something. And you are a steward. And I think it's important that we remind ourselves over and over and over again that we are undeserving, ill-deserving recipients of God's grace. And were it not for that grace, we would be that beggar. We would be banging our copper cup on the sidewalk. In between binges. But not for the grace of God, we would be that woman in line at job and family services on welfare with three kids from three different dads. That would be us. If that was you, Jesus says, what would you do? What would you want someone to do for you? Or if you can't imagine yourself in the situation of a woman on welfare with three kids from three dads, if that were your daughter, what would you do? What would you want someone to do for her? This is love defined. And how different from the way the world defines love. Jesus goes on. This is love distinguished in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But the point should be clear. Christian love is different than worldly love. It has different properties. It has different purposes. The world's love at its core is not really a love of others, but a love of self. It says in not so many words that what I love most is how much others love me. And the moment others don't love me as much as I love me, well, then I replace them with someone else. The the economic system of the world's love is built on the principle of reciprocity. So I give to receive. And as long as my output does not exceed my input, we are good. But the moment that I give more than I get, I'm out. I shut down. And this is just pure logic. Because if my cup is filled by what others put in it, well, then I have to limit the amount that I can pour out on others. But you see, Christian love is not like this at all. God's love is what fills our cup. And God's love is infinite. It doesn't have measure or end. We never run out. 
Because our source never runs out, and therefore we are truly free to love without reserve, to love without holding back, to love without the fear of being neglected or misused. Many of you have heard me say this before. One of the first questions that I always ask a couple when they're going into premarital counseling is, why do you want to be married? And very often, the answer is the same. She makes me happy. He makes me happy. We're happy when we're together, which is a good answer. It's not a bad answer. It's an expected answer, because if they answer something else, it would be weird why they're there. Like, she makes me miserable, so I want to marry her. But everyone in this room who has been married for more than a honeymoon knows that this is an insufficient reason. If the foundation of marriage is my own happiness, it is doomed. Because what happens when she starts making, stops making me happy? Or what happens when what makes me happy changes and she doesn't change with it? Or what happens when she gets sick and she's not able to provide for me and my happiness? And young couples don't mean this, of course, but what they're saying is, I want to be married to my happiness. And you are my servant of happiness. So I want to be married to you. And this goes back to the therapeutic self that we mentioned last week. It's just simply the air we breathe. If the meaning of life is self-discovery and self-expression, if it's all about walking out your truth, then everyone is a means to an end. And love is never free. It's a calculation. Love given is an investment of love received. Tit for tat, quid pro quo. Do good to those who do good to you. Lend as long as you expect an exchange. And Jesus says, you don't need God for that. Every sinner is capable of loving like that. But this is what makes Christian love distinct. Christian love is like God's love. God gives not to get something. God gives because that's who God is. God is good. God does good. Not because he's hoping to get something good in exchange. He does good because God is good. You see, all that is, all that exists is because God's goodness has been poured out. It has been communicated. It has been displayed in order that it would be rejoiced in. And this is what makes Christian love distinct. It resembles that kind of love, that pouring out. Your love, dear Christian, is meant to represent God's love, represent God's love. And it is not dependent upon reciprocity. It's a love which exists on its own, which flows out of an abundance like light from the sun. And whether or not God's love is known or seen or savored or rejoiced in at all, He pours it out nonetheless.
because that's simply who he is. And who we are determines what we do. And so Christian, whether or not your love is appreciated, pour it out nonetheless. It's who you are. Which is what Jesus says next. That God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So he's defined Christian love. He's distinguished Christian love. And as we close, Jesus puts Christian love on display. Let's read verses 35 and 36 one more time. He summarizes again. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is love displayed. When we love like God, doing good for those who wrong us, lending, expecting nothing in return, two things take place. Two of the ands in verse 35. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Two things. First, you receive a reward. And second, you show that you are a child of God. So Jesus says that when we love like God loves, your reward will be great. This is one of the things that distinguish Christian love from other kinds of love. Christian love is a display of who God is, and Christian love is for heavenly reward. The world loves for a worldly reward, but not the Christian. The Christian loves for a heavenly reward. And Jesus has given you a promise here that God will reward his children who love in the way he loves. The subject of heavenly rewards is, in in my humble opinion, a rather understudied subject. Perhaps some of you could go to seminary and get your doctorate and do your doctrinal thesis on this. It would be beneficial, I think, to the church. We'll return to the subject of reward, heavenly reward, throughout this series in Luke. But suffice it to say that loving your enemies carries an eternal reward. And it is not wrong, righteous, I would argue, to live for and to work for heavenly rewards. So that's one thing. The other thing is that when we love like God loves, we will be sons of the Most High. Sons carry the name of their father. They represent their father. So when we love like God loves, we reflect our father. We image our father. We represent our father. Which is what Jesus said in John 13. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So by loving in the way that Jesus loved, that sacrificial, selfless kind of love, God's love is displayed to others, and the world knows that we are His. And now we come to the substance of God's love. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. How much power does it take? To be unceasingly kind to ungrateful people. 
I don't know if I'm capable of doing that for half an hour. But God is an equal opportunity provider of kindness. The rain falls on the wicked farmer's field the same as it falls on the godly farmer's field. And Acts 14 says that God provides happiness and yes, even good food to sinners to draw them to himself. And when you look out over the world, does it bother you that the wicked prosper? If we truly believe that every good gift is from above, why is it that some wicked people have good gifts? If this bothers you, I have good news for you. God has already given you a complaint form that you can fill out on your own. It's Psalm chapter 73, Jeremiah chapter 12, Habakkuk chapter 1. You simply need to pick one of those, sign your name at the bottom, and send it on up. And you will learn, as the psalmist learned, this is God's world. This is God's purposes, and it is His divine prerogative to show kindness however He pleases. Let us not forget that we are His creatures. Let us not forget to remind ourselves again that we are ill-deserving recipients of His electing grace. That it was His kindness to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so who are we then to withhold kindness and patience and gentleness and grace to anyone? Be merciful, Jesus says, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. You've probably heard this before, and I'm, if you haven't, I'm glad to say it for the first time. Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you do deserve. And every person in this room has been the happy recipient of both of those things. And then speaking of the last day, when we give our account to Jesus for how we lived, there's not a single person in here who is going to regret giving to those in need. But I suspect, I suspect, and Lord have mercy on us, that I suspect there are some in this room who will regret withholding kindness, mercy, and patience to someone. Brothers and sisters, we are far too quick to slap a label on someone or dismiss them because they are this or they are that simply because of what we've heard about them or simply what the gossip at the office told us about them or simply what we heard on a podcast. We are all happy recipients of God's unmerited mercy through Jesus. And we have the incredible privilege displaying that same merciful love to others, to the ungrateful, and to the evil, and to the immature. If you're not a Christian, I, I, don't, I wonder what you think about all this. Because God knows you better than anyone. He knows you better than you know yourself. He has seen your selfish love. He has seen your rebellion against Him. He has seen the way that you've perverted your life. And He has been incredibly patient toward you. 
And he didn't have to do this, but he has showed you kindness and he has kept you alive to this very day. Kindness to even draw you to this place and to hear this message. And this kindness that he's shown to you is meant to lead you to repentance, friend. And you should do that today. Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners just like you. And God raised him from the dead and all who turn to him in faith, repenting of their sins, receive forgiveness of those same sins. Are granted the righteousness of God and eternal life. God has done this because this is who he is. He is merciful and gracious. And so before you leave this place today, talk with someone. There are many here who have bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and received that mercy, and they would love to talk to you more about that mercy. Church, when you are maligned and mistreated and scorned and shunned, turn yourself to the Lord and remember his mercy, and then offer that same mercy to others. Love your enemies. Do good. Suffer the wrong. Do not retaliate. Rejoice that you've been counted worthy to suffer like he suffered. And love without strings. Love without conditions. Love without principled economics. Love others like God has loved you. It's who you are. It's who he's made you to be. Go and sin no more. Please stand as we pray the prayer of confession. Father, we come to you again as your people, called by your name, people for your own possession. Who we are and what we have is all a gift. We are stewards. And Lord, we confess to you that having heard the words of Jesus, we recognize that we have adopted the words of the world in our understanding of love. We thank you for the kindness that you've shown to us today in exposing this, our sin. Would you please forgive us, your children, for loving more like the world does than the way that you love. Please forgive those here who are in a quarrel over trivial things. Forgive those here who are arrogant and blind. Will you forgive those here who have turned a cold shoulder because their preferences have not been met? Will you forgive us for being stingy with our time and with our money? Will you forgive us for looking for exceptions to your commands to give rather than being obedient to your commands to give? Lord, please forgive us each time we retaliate. Forgive us for not trusting in you to be our protector for every time that we take matters into our own hands. And grant to us your people, purchased by the blood of your Son, to give our hearts to you, to be satisfied in Christ, to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, Pray for those who abuse us and to be kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have an assurance of pardon from Psalm 145, which we read at the opening. And it is this, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made.